G'day there, everyone, and welcome to another bonus episode of Beyond the Club. We spend a bit of time in our bonus episodes talking about what is fun for kids in training, in playing. It's thanks to the work by Amanda Visek, who's come up with the 81 Fun Determinants by Dimension. I'm Ben Hook. I'm talking with Dr. Sam Elliott, and he's the man who takes us through all of these individual fun determinants. Very quickly, Sam, for someone who hasn't heard one of these bonus episodes before, what has Amanda Visek given us? Amanda is an outstanding academic. This is a highly cited paper, which means that internationally, people are reading and using this work. So what she's been able to come up with is a really significant research study with children. And what she's derived are these 81 sources, these 81 determinants of what is fun for children. If you want to make sport fun in your local communities, one thing you can do is listen to your most important stakeholder, which in sport are kids. So this is the piece of research that hopefully gives coaches, clubs, organisations, leaders some ideas to really maximise what fun looks like in sport. This is episode six. We've been through so many of these already. We're going to take you through five more. Number one is a really interesting point today, Sam. This is fun, playing rough. Tell me about that. Yes. Okay. So again, got to understand that this isn't Sam's opinion. This is what Amanda's research has shown. Children... Gee, that's distancing yourself, mate. uh, Well, I'm going to own it. I'm going to put my name to this because I've seen with my own eyes and through my own research in a range of different sports that are not traditionally contact sports, young people, girls in particular, but young people are yearning. They want a new way to physically express themselves in 2022. And so any opportunities to promote a bit of rough play at some point at training at some point in their development, is really, really key. Often we're worried about injury. Mm. We're worried about maybe hurting someone. But the play's really critical, and especially rough play, where there's a moderate exposure of risk. Really important for one reason. That is where individuals, especially young children, experience the greatest level of growth and development. So if you want to develop players, if you want to develop young individuals physically and psychosocially, moderate exposure to stresses, moderate exposure to some rough and tumble play is really important. This can start in the family home hooky. Mm. Okay, and, and and indeed it should with, with your parents, right? Because in a safe environment of, hopefully in a safe environment at home, right, you've got a family unit around the child that can safely uh, expose children to some rough and tumble. But in sport, often it's a little bit more regimented, it's a little bit more organised, and often the level of exposure to rough play tends to be sort of, you know, uh, restricted. Think think of school rules as an example. We don't want the kids to be too rough at recess and lunch. It's like, well, no, if you want to develop them, again, physically, but also psychosocially, which we know is associated with improved academic performance, some rough exposure, okay, Moderate exposure is really important. The line is drawn whether it, when it's too excessive. Okay, uh, yeah. So we're not Obviously. saying put the gloves on and fight. What yep. we are saying is that some rough and tumble play uh, not only is a source of fun for children, but what the research also tells us is really key for their growth. So if you're a junior coach and you're a bit averse to a bit of physical contact in a sport that relies on a bit of physical Uh, interaction, encouraging a bit of that. There's obviously a zenith point, an end point, but encouraging that is something that you should be incorporating into junior practices. Yes, absolutely. And it doesn't need to be every single session, but when children are saying, hey, we find this really fun, 
we need to respect that and we need to think about some different innovation, some different ideas to respond to that in our program. Without uh, going down the road of this because we're going to try and avoid it, but this is actually quite high up in the list as well, Sam. I mean, this is not just something that happened to be right at the bottom end. This is one of the top end points. Playing rough is something that kids genuinely do enjoy. And if you can manage it in a way that's relatively safe, we should be bringing it on. Yes. And so what our listeners are hopefully really learning through these podcasts is that as we work through these 81 determinants, some of these should be at the top of your list. And playing rough should be, if if not the first one, it should be in the top handful of things that you consider. Yeah. It's inside the top 20. I don't want to number these off because then it sort of somehow it will negate the importance of others and it doesn't quite work like that but this is just what the research says but this is actually a significant one another significant one as well Sam getting compliments from coaches this is almost up the top of the tree yeah really really important and it emphasizes the role of the coach and the importance of the coach but not in the way that many of our listeners may think people might think you need to be a skill expert You need to be an amazing communicator. You need to be able to develop players and put a really strong program together so they develop their fitness and their competence and their game sense. All of these things are really important. Absolutely. There's no question about that. But maybe as if not more important is your ability to compliment your players. Now, there is a little caveat to this. There's a little exception here, which I'll get to in a minute. But why does it matter? Why are compliments from the coach so powerful? Well, not only is it a source of positive reinforcement, uh, but we also know that it can energize. And so if, if anyone's to say, oh, you know, a lot of, we've got really good people in the media right now, you might feel really good about yourself. But if your boss comes down and says, hey, hooky, Love what you're doing. That episode you did last week on this particular story had amazing reach and I listened to it and you resonated with me. It it gives you energy, gives you a renewed sense of purpose and motivation to continue to do the work that you're doing. So it's really, really important where it becomes problematic is when it's poorly timed or when the mode of communication of a compliment is maybe not optimal or not preferred. So let me give you an example. Yeah. If I was to give you a report card with a, a number on it or a letter on it, an A plus or 10 out of 10, it might feel good. But what feels better when we sit down and I explain why you got a 10 out of 10 mm. and why I gave you an A plus and why the things that I've seen in the last six weeks have really given me some, um, I guess, the impetus to come and speak to you. So that's really important in terms of the mode, but also the timing. You don't want to be complimenting every single player every single time. Of so you've course. got to try and find your mark because suddenly it loses its meaning if you overplay it. Yeah. So compliments from the coaches, really, really important. It's part of the toolkit of being a really effective coach, but you need to make sure that the timing and the mode of your communication are, I guess, uh, appropriate for the age group and for the setting that you find yourself in. The, the, and I just uh, one thing I want to harp on here. There's a bit of a uh, an argument, I suppose, about praising in public and criticising in private. Is it important to praise or offer that um, offer that encouragement, if you like, or that uh, that that positive reinforcement? In front of others, or is that more a one-on-one thing? Yeah, a lot of this can be situationally dependent. So some individuals, whether it's good advice or bad advice, may fear being have you know, I guess having the spotlight on them. Um, you know, in the middle of training. Sure. Okay, it might just give them social anxiety. Some people, I'm 
I, I know a lot of people that you can give them the world's most unbelievable compliment in public, and it actually it, it's actually like quite moralizing. Yeah, it's yeah. quite anxiety laden for them. So I, I think it's a little bit horses for courses. But if you know your players, mm. uh, as a general thumb, I think it's okay to to consider public acknowledgement because that type of validation is really good for culture building. And what tends to happen is if you are the recipient of a compliment, you're more likely to want to then pay it forward to others. So um, there's definitely real benefit with that, but there's of course exceptions where individuals may not prefer the public endorsement. Let's move on to point number three today, which is practicing with specialty trainers and coaches. And I get this. I used to love as a junior cricketer when a particular specialty coach would come because I thought, right. And I remember I used to go into the nets and I'd say, oh, I hope he watches me today. I really want to learn something from this guy. I mean, that meant so much to me. If uh, Bob Gilborn, I'll even say his name. When Bob Gilborn came to training and he watched me in the nets, that meant so much to me. You have just... You've honestly you've provoked a lot of memories for me because certainly can relate to numerous examples in my footy days as well. What's more engaging, a generalist or a specialist? And I think if someone can respond to your skills, your weapons, your signature strengths as a player, that can be quite motivating. So practice with specialty coaches, often we call this craft in, in football terms. And I apologize to our listeners for all of the football examples that I've offered so far. But just for the sake of this example, if you have a specialist ruck coach that wants to come out and work with all of the tall players that may be involved in some ruck work in a game of football, that kind of craft, that tailored development equals one thing, and it's 100% engagement. Mm. It's not 70% relevant to my role. It's not 50% relevant to my role. This is totally what I do. If I'm a bowler in cricket and we're doing a lot of batting practice, fielding practice and a bit of bowling, but then the next week you've got craft with a bowling specialist. It's not 70% engaging. It is fully relevant to what you do as a young athlete. So practice with specialty coaches ultimately maximizes their strength um, that they bring to the table, their calling card as an athlete. And if you've got a strength, this is, think back to our confidence episode, Hookie, if you've got a strength in sport, it's the single thing you can rely on when your confidence is starting to wane. So mm. practice with specialty coaches, really important. So if you're a junior coach, getting hold of uh, like an A-grade player who specialises in the skill that you want to encourage development in the skill of of your junior player, do they have to be an actual coach or can they come in as like that expert who's been there, done it and plays that particular position? So whether it's a goal shooter or a goalkeeper in netball, whether it's a, a leg spin bowler in cricket, you, you know, I mean, you, the list is endless. Goalkeeper in soccer. Yeah, I think that if you've got access to other coaches, that's always a really good thing. But sometimes at the junior level, a lot of our community clubs are just relying on volunteer parents. Mm. And so I'm saying that if they've got some level of experience or um, some ability to really you know, teach and develop young people, bring them into your fold because mm. they may be able to take one part of your training. Maybe it's how to pick the ball up off the ground or maybe it's how to hold the ball in a tackle or whatever it might be. Some of those specialty skills, those specialty coaching roles uh, really appeal to young kids. In fact, this is a, another really important source of what kids find as fun. Lovely. Okay, let's move on to point number four, having a group of friends outside of school. Okay, so how does that relate to fun in sport? I don't see it. Yeah, really good. So obviously friendship inside of sport matters, um, in school matters. Uh, and what this particular fun determinant indicates is that if you've got a more expansive social network, if you've got wider social support outside of your school friends who you see literally Monday to Friday, what that actually will associate with, what the research tells us is 
is that you are more likely to be socially mobile, which means you can come in and out of different social situations with a little bit less anxiety that you can adapt more readily. And the big one here is that in terms of changing dynamic situations, you might go from being a a casual worker at McDonald's to a a son or a daughter at home to the team captain to um, a a mediocre student at school. We constantly wear different hats. And as you change into different dynamic environments, those that have a wider social network, both inside and outside of school and sport, are those that tend to adapt more readily. Love it. I understand it now. Let's move on to point number five to wrap this episode up. End of season team party. So by the time people are listening to this, we're getting to the end of the winter sports season. This is something really important. It really is because last impressions matter. We talk about first impressions, but what about the last thing that happens before you don't see these kids and these families again for sometimes two, three, four, five, six months? It's a long time. So it's actually a really important retention strategy, but I'll, I'll offer you this as, as an example. It doesn't need to be a party your end of season celebrations, your awards night, whatever it might be, your your best and fairest count, they are the most significant team ritual in a club's season because not only is it a way to acknowledge the efforts and to thank people in your environment, but it is your point of departure into the next season. It is literally your springboard into the following season and that's often where in those two, three, four, five, six months where you have the risk of losing people to your sport, volunteers, coaches, players. So... It's an important retention strategy. And if you can actually use that particular end of season event to maybe zoom out and help everyone understand the bigger picture of of this grade and this game and this part of your development and, and where they are on their sporting journey as a family and as an individual, you're more likely to keep them for the following year because they understand the story. Okay, They don't just read a sentence and think they've got a grasp of what's going on. They get the meaning of what this whole picture actually looks like. So end-of-season events are critical. It's a critical way to stay connected. Let me offer you this example from uh, Catherine's episode on injuries and, and so forth. If you are injured at the end of the season, like even if you're a 14-year-old kid, if you hurt your knee yep. at the end of the season, you suffer in silence for months yeah. without so so this is how important it is for clubs not just for injured players but for everyone their entire social experience in sport is summed up and reinforced in that one night so yeah. you want to find a way to make sure that the send off is really something that feeds forward and perpetuates into the following year it's really interesting stuff sam let's just wrap this up if you're a junior coach or a junior administrator or someone that's involved with local sport these are five things that can increase the fun encourage a bit of rough play. We know that there's a line, don't cross the line, but bring a bit of physicality into your sport is a good thing. Compliment your players when they deserve it, when it's warranted. Don't overdo it. Don't hit it too hard, but don't be afraid to give out a few compliments. Uh, Get specialty coaches in. Find someone who relates specifically to the to the skill that one kid is developing, they will really appreciate the fact that they have a specialty coach working for them. Encourage kids to work in groups outside of their school friends. So if they're solely focused on school sport, you need to find them maybe a club sport as well so they can develop and broaden their group of friends. And just to wrap it up, make sure that you have a really good quality end of season breakup meeting and make sure you use that as a springboard into the next year. That about right, Sam? You have hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. Great episode, Sam. Enjoyed it. Always enjoy uh, how you relate Amanda Vicek's work back down into local sport here. That's episode six of the bonus episodes of Beyond the Club. We won't be too far away with episode seven. Thanks for listening.